that I thought that is such a good thing. Be alert to God. Be aware of Him. Be focused in on Him in all of these things. And even tonight as we finish our time of singing, go into a time of just listening to the scriptures being taught, I want to encourage you to be alert and aware. As we go into the week ahead, I want to encourage you to be alert and aware. And I just love those things. In Christ alone, it's a focusing song, but also that encouragement, no matter what you're facing, you might not know what to do, but there's someone we can lean into and ask. And I just want to pray that now. Um, the Holy Spirit's incredible. I was reading in, at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I just thought of that truth, where the Spirit of the Lord is, something is happening. And I feel like that for us tonight as we gather, the Spirit of the Lord is here and He's wanting to do something. And I'd love us to be alert and aware and not miss what He's doing. So can I pray for us? You, you might be coming in here really distracted. You might be in the zone, whatever it is. We, we wanna fix our eyes on Jesus. And we do just do that, Lord. We, we just come before you now as we finish this time of just singing worship and we welcome you here. And Lord, I know for myself, I wanna just rid my mind and my heart of everything that could distract me. And we wanna fix our eyes on Jesus. And we welcome you here, Lord, and we pray that you'd speak to us, you'd encourage us, you'd meet us where we're at. Lord, I, I even just ask tonight that you would lift our heads to see how beautiful you are as that song speaks about. So come and be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys take your seats? Thanks to the band for leading us so, so well. Such beautiful songs and just such beautiful music. I hope you've been having a really good week. I hope you're doing well. But if you're not, that's okay too. It's good to be gathered together just as God's church. And uh, tonight we've got some friends with us, which is really special. I'll introduce them in just a second. But we are in part two of our Looking Ahead series tonight. This is a short two-part series. And really, after just the craziness of the last year and a half, two years, the idea of the series is we just, as a church, wanted to look ahead and talk about what we believed God is saying and what He's doing with us. And that means for us wanting to gather together to process that and prepare for that and get excited about the chapter of our church that lies ahead. And last week, we shared some big news. If you weren't here last week, uh, this might come as a little bit of a surprise, but Shell and I shared that we believe our time leading Harbor City is coming to an end, not straight away, but we are aiming to transition to hand over the leadership of Harbor City in February next year, which is obviously a big thing for us personally, but also a big thing for this church who we love so dearly. And if you didn't know that, this might come as a surprise, I really do want to encourage you to go and please listen to that message from last week. Shell and I shared a little bit, a few of the leaders from the church shared, we, we had one of our pastor friends who's been part of this process and journey, also just sharing and just helping us to think this through. And obviously that is big news for us, I'd love you to listen through that, pray that through, process that, and we can also chat uh, if there's a time to do that. But we didn't just share our news, we also shared that we are planning to hand over to Jamie and Lisa Tennant who are sitting in the second row there. Maybe you guys can just do a little wave. Uh, great, 
beautiful couple. I've known Jamie since I was 12, Lisa since I was 17, and we had them around for dinner last night with Andy and Jackie, and we spent quite a bit of time actually reminiscing just on moments from the past. And I know you might not know them, you might not trust them yet, but I can just say I've got a really long history with these two and just love who God has made them to be, the, the gifts they've got, the story they've been living out, and just the faith they've got, and I think the call of God on their lives. And I think as they come in and lead this church into the future, it's gonna be a really, really beautiful next chapter for this community. So I'd love you afterwards, uh, if you don't know them, or even if you do, why don't you meet them? Why don't you say hi, introduce yourself, share something about yourself, ask them some questions about themselves and just begin the journey of getting to know them more. They're not going to be sharing this evening, but over the next couple of weeks through December, Jan, before uh, the transition service that we have in February, they'll be sharing, they'll be up here. I've, I've got in mind uh, to do a few little interviews with them, get them to share some stories, some deep, some fun, so you can get to know them a little bit better. Um, but I think they would love it. I'm sure you would love it too, to get to know them over the next while. But tonight we've got our friends Andy and Jackie here from Restored Church in Uptown in San Diego. And uh, it's actually such a gift to have them here because they're really good friends of ours. So they've been staying with us and we've had a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of deep chats. Uh, it's been a really, really fun two days uh, so far. But they're not just really good friends. They're, they're also, they've been a gift to us. And I think they have helped us and this church in significant ways over the years. And what's so cool about tonight is last week we shared big news about uh, the future of Harbor City change, uh, what's coming in the next chapter, and tonight they're here to help us to process this. And Andy leads the Restored Family of Churches, which is a, a network or a group of churches that we are connected with, we're in partnership with, we're a part of, and I think it's such a gift to have him in tonight to help us to think and process and prepare uh, for the future that is ahead. So uh, Andy, I'd love to call you up. Looking forward to what you've got to share. If you don't know Andy and you haven't heard him share before, I just encourage you, um, he's got a different accent, a little bit different to me, but he is such a gift, and I'd love you to open your heart to what he's got to say. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for, even as we have these birds just going at it, uh, we're reminded of the fact that you, uh, in the same way that you provide for the birds, you provide for us, that you care about us, that you see us, that you're with us, that you really do walk through the valleys with us, you really do um, stand alongside us uh, through storms, um, through trials, and through pain, and God, I just pray that we remember uh, you'd help us to see clearly. Uh, sometimes it's so hard to see clearly um, your goodness especially when um, life gets really hard or complicated, um, when it feels full, when it feels tragic, when it feels confusing. And so Lord, I just pray you'd help us to see you in a, in a way that only you can help us see you. So I pray you'd speak through me and in spite of me, that we'd see Jesus uh, and his goodness. And since then we pray. Amen. Man, uh, it's good to be with you. How many of you who have been to a 4.30 p.m., uh, or do you guys call it 16.30? All right, just so, all right. I've uh, been to a 4.30 p.m. worship gathering prior to this year. Anybody? Okay, okay, yeah, it's not just me, right? Uh, it's, it's weird right now, right? Uh, so much has changed uh, since the last time I was here. I remember 
Uh, we, as our, our church in San Diego, we had the, the strangest worship gatherings. So we didn't have any. We just did the video thing, the online thing. Always tricky to sing to YouTube, right? Like maybe that's easy for you. That was hard for us. And we kind of transitioned into uh, a beautiful outdoor space uh, right near the water in San Diego. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Um, but it, it, it came with its own challenges. So, for example, we did not have uh, any child care uh, due to COVID, you know, uh, protocol stuff. So for about three months, it was just kids, 40, 50 kids, just wilding. Uh, I was preaching one day, and a kid came up, stood right in front of me, just went like this. It's like, Howie, not a big Romans guy. Uh, there's a stand-up comedian named uh, Al Madrigal, a Mexican-American stand-up comedian, and he said that uh, when he was coming up as a comedian, he learned uh, there are certain gigs you don't take. You don't take gigs that are outdoors, that are during the day, that have children. And as a preaching gig goes, it was all three. <laughs> On top of that, we were underneath the San Diego International Airport's flight path, like a mile right underneath it. So like every 45 seconds on the recording, it's like, <laughs> and it was just strange. And so if you're like, man, worship's so strange these days. It's so different. I don't know what's happening. I think it's true for all of us. But what I do want to say is that even in the less than ideal moments, God is very much still God. Uh, we were talking, uh, I don't know why, but in America, we've just got this idol of like liberty and freedom and like no one tells me how to live my life kind of vibe. And nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Uh, nobody uh, tells me how to live my life. Spend Stiller from Dodgeball. That was a quote I didn't plan on uh, dropping there. But one of the things that I've had to tell, man, people are like, man, it just, it feels different. It's like, man, we, we should be able to be indoors and not have masks on and meet at the times we want. And I go, man, if you were to chat to someone in Iran or China in the underground church and go, man, we're under persecution. We've got to wear masks. We've got to spread out. We've got to meet at different times, right? I think they go, oh, where's the persecution? And you go, man, it's just less than ideal. They're like, that sounds pretty ideal. And so, we, man, followers of Jesus, I was just with some in, in Northern Africa. There's about six people at a table. Um, that God can show up in very, in spaces that we're not used to when we think of church. So I want to say just tonight that this is, um, this is a space where, where the Holy Spirit still dwells, his people. You're looking at the walls of the temple as you look at each other. And so I just want to um, um, remind us that God is still active and present. And so um, at our church about six, month ago, six months ago, I was uh, preparing to begin a series uh, on future vision and direction of our church. And the day before I was about to preach on that Saturday, I felt as clear as day, the day before I'm supposed to preach, kind of a preacher's nightmare, I felt the Spirit of God say to me, hey, you need to change your sermon. And I heard him clearly say that before people are ready to go forward, they need to be honest about where they've been. And I feel like you said, Andy, I know you love the people in your church, but they're tired. And I feel like God was saying we need to talk about the losses of the past before we talk about the direction and vision of the future. You see, during the pandemic, our church lost 27 of our members uh, who had moved away or decided they no longer wanted to be a part of our community. That's 27 people in a church of 120 people. That's a significant amount of loss. Now, I don't think that message about loss is a unique message for the church we lead, Restored Uptown in San Diego. In 2021, I think it's a message for the broader church as well, a broader church that Harbor City is a part of. And I know um, just it being 2020, right, it's just weird, it's hard, it's all the things I've been describing. And as a church community and as a city, you have been through so much. As people living in a struggling economy to start with, 
experiencing the strains of frustrating yet often necessary lockdowns to stop the spread of COVID have made financial pressures continue to just stack up. Like where there was even a little bit of margin, it just feels tight for so many of you. I know that in July, um, there was the unrest that was scary and confusing and left many feeling insecure or unsafe. I know that many of you have had friends who have left the city or even the country. Some of you lost family members during this time. And as a church, you've lost venues. And you weren't able to gather regularly at the, at the church for worship for months on end, kind of spread out, kind of doing the in online church thing. And obviously last week you learned that Grant and Michelle will be handing over the leadership of this church to, to Jamie and Lisa Tennant, which isn't connected to the unrest or to the pandemic, but could feel like another brick in your wall of losses. And even though Jamie and Lisa are outstanding leaders who Grant and Michelle trust so much, it doesn't change the fact that your relationship with the Clarks will change as you'll see them less frequently if they aren't in this city. And so today it seemed right to me to teach on a really fun subject, grieving. <laughs> right, if you're here and you love to grieve, say yeah. Can I get a woo for grieving? No, you know what, me either. <laughs> This topic's unexciting, and in far too much of the church, we often tend to either ignore it or avoid it. Almost none of us are comfortable with it. You're likely in one of two camps this afternoon as I bring up this topic, if you aren't comfortable with grieving. Uh, for some of you, you might just say, you know what, life's been pretty good. Um, life's been so much harder for other people, so I'm fine. I don't have anything to grieve. The mantra of this camp's like, other people have it worse. And in some ways, they may... But your loss is your loss. Your life is your life. The second group of people might say something like, I've gone through too much, and I can't bear thinking about it, any of it, anymore. And what I want to say to that first group is that there's more to grieve than you realize. If you have a physical ailment that is unaddressed, most of the time it does not fix itself. And so there's been many athletes over the years who've kind of downplayed how hurt they were and they re-injured themselves or, or the injury got worse playing in a competition or a game. And in the same way, if you have an emotional wound, uh, you have some, a loss that needs to be grieved, that's there whether you want to admit it or not. It's kind of like you can walk with a limp and go, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But that doesn't mean you are. It doesn't mean it's going to get better on its own. So to the first group, I'd say, man, I think there is things to grieve, even if it's not as bad as someone else. And God cares about that person, but he cares about you too. And to the second group, you might be thinking, I I've just gone, again, I've gone through so much. What I want to tell you is that we as followers of Jesus are called to grieve differently. As overwhelming as it might seem, there is a hope in our grieving. But the reality is, is we all have to grieve because we all experience loss and pain. The question isn't, do you have losses to grieve? It's, are you allowing yourself to grieve the losses you have? We all respond to our pain somehow, but by not looking at it, you are doing something. And that something is shaping you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. If we don't deal with the stuff that hurts, we often uh, hurt others. We feel distant from God. Part of why the world is so angry today in every sphere, especially social media, is we don't know how to be sad. And anger is easier as an emotion because you're in control of it. You know why conspiracy theories take off? Because they give you someone to blame. You can make sense of a painful world that just hurts. 
And so today I have two big ideas for you, the couple of mini ideas around grieving. And, and the first one is why we need to grieve. And the second one is how we grieve best. Why we need to grieve and how we grieve best. So number one, why we need to grieve. In the past year and a half, I've experienced so much grief. Uh, friends close to us have experienced miscarriages and parents dying or divorcing. People I love deeply have come to grips with sexual abuse or, or racial injustice and trauma they experienced growing up. Uh, a couple that's dear to me uh, tried to plan a wedding during a pandemic. Uh, I think you guys got married during a pandemic, and it's hard. It's just probably not what you thought it would look like. And it was true of this couple as well. Uh, a dear friend of mine wasn't able to be with their father as he died. On top of that, in our own home, my son was diagnosed with a mental health condition that left me and my wife just reeling. But during that time, God had been doing something in my soul. I don't think anything's contributed more to my growth process, my becoming like Jesus, than the past two years in grieving and sitting with those who grieve. By the way, I want to say this isn't natural to me, all right? Again, I'm an Enneagram 7. Uh, if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. I have a visionary leadership gift. I am future-oriented. I'm what psycho a clinical psychologist call a shallow, happy person. <laughs> like negative emotions, let's get out of here. But here's what I want you to know is that even though grieving is required of all of us, it does not come naturally to any of us. And that's for a very good reason. We weren't designed for it. If you guys have Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take a look at how this started, how it happened, and where we're going. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now jump down to verse 15. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And so when God creates the world, he creates it good. He creates it perfect. He calls it Eden. Eden means place of delight or pleasure. I think often the, the garden of, we call it Garden of Eden often, uh, just doesn't sound very fun. It's like, it's cool. It's like, all right, maybe, maybe you and a gal, you're naked or whatever, and it's beautiful. Um, but like, it just seems kind of like there's not much to it because it hasn't been cultivated. The, the world hasn't been built out yet. Like, would I even enjoy that? But Eden is a place where life was as God intended it to be. When you think of Eden, think of a place where humans are in a perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with the environment around them and with God himself. Eden is a place of wholeness, completeness, and there's an unbelievable place of delight and pleasure. And again, it's important for you to know this because a lot of what you've been told explicitly, potentially by growing up in sad, angry churches, or told implicitly by a secular culture that tells you God is a hater, he's a cosmic killjoy, he's kind of prude, that he doesn't want you to experience joy, love, fun, or delight, and that couldn't be further than the truth. The scripture teaches that every good gift comes from above. So that's a lie that God isn't out for your joy. 
because God created pleasure. He's the author of pleasure and delight. He wants us to experience love and pleasure as he intended it to be experienced. And there are moments in this life, they're fleeting, they're quick, but there are real moments that are a taste of Eden. Uh, I, we had dinner with our family about a month ago, and it was just so great, guys. Like, man, no one was complaining about the food, which is a miracle in our house. Unless it's like macaroni and cheese, my middle son just talks trash. It's like, you have no idea how good this food is. I came nowhere near this quality of food as a kid. I don't think I knew what a vegetable was. But no one was complaining. Everyone was excited to celebrate and be celebrated. Everyone got to share about their day and what was going on with them. And everyone was, ex was, was listening and everyone was, was down to be heard. There was laughing. There was fun. There was just a sense of we all belong here and we're all loved and we all know it, at least in this moment. Again, uh, there's these t moments of Eden, right? Like if you just, you just take a second to look at beauty in nature sometimes. You're able to do that. We walked along the harbor today with Grant and Shell. And you just see the water. And there's some spaces in this world that are just so beautiful you want to cry. Again, the world could look like Mars. God gave us such a gift of delight and beauty. Um, men and women, right, he could have made us look like owls. And he makes us look very different than that. Think about music, right? As the team was up here singing, man, it was beautiful. Something happens in your soul and in your senses. And even if you're like, I'm, I'm an atheist or I don't, whatever, it's, the music's just beautiful. You know it sounds beautiful. God created music. He commands us to sing. He's the ultimate creative. He's the ultimate artist. He's the first creator. We're made in his image, so we are creators. We're all, as my friend James Gutierrez says, you're all creative. Some of you are just lazy. But we're all called to, to, to design and, and write and, and experience stuff. Um, again, God created sex. Procreation could be so boring, guys. You guys, anyone watch the documentary, The March of the Penguins? Like a, a penguin lays an egg. <laughs> and then like the, the, the male penguin just comes for like a month, just walking through the freezing uh, tundra to take care of it. All right. Um, I got to do better. I got to look up uh, penguin sex. So I'm just get a little more ready. But my point is, it could be like that. It could be a very arduous, sad thing. Guys, food and drink could be so lame. Nutrition could be like an IV all the time. But, but God makes nutrition and food, and, 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 and he wants us to enjoy good things. I mean, I, I had a meal with my wife recently, and they were, they were just French fries. They were just chips, as you say. And they were just outstanding. It's like, th these are just real good. In the Old Testament, God commands Israel to buy beer and wine and to dance it's like one of the tithes, literally, is like the party fund. Look it up. It's 23%. 10% is your, like, self-care alcohol fund. But because he's the designer of all these great gifts, he knows how to best use them. Again, we often think, I got it. I know how to deal with this. I know what to do. But Jesus calls us into abundant life, which is beautiful rhythms with ourselves, with God, with others, with the world around us, where we experience God's good gifts as he intended for us to experience them. There's a book I read during Bible college called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a Breviary of Sin by a philosopher named Cornelius Plant Plantiga. Uh, he's one of the most smartest people in the world, professor of philosophy at Notre Dame. Uh, and he talks about sin as the vandalism of shalom, kind of ruining the way it's supposed to be. 
Like when we, when we lose sight of Eden, and this is the bummer, Eden is short-lived in its fullness. We get glimpses of it, but we don't experience it as often as we should because of what happens next. Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it you will certainly die. And again, even reading this, this could sound so arbitrary, right? Like eating a fruit and the world falls apart. But the fruit represents something. It's not the fruit itself. It's what it represents. It's kind of like signing your name. I remember when I was in grade 7, and uh, for whatever reason, middle school girls, grade 7 girls would write their name over and over again on like their planner, like their journal, their, their notebook. And uh, they'd write them in, in cursive and in bubble letters and in old English text. And they'd write, they'd write the name of the guy they like over and over and over again. You guys familiar with something like this? And uh, now, now the names being written down had the same moral bearing in the universe as playing a video game on your phone to kill time. They're just kind of bored. They're doodling, essentially. Right? But writing a name has no power in and of itself. But when you put pen to paper, when you're moving through like a mortgage process to buy a property or a house... All of a sudden now it means hundreds of thousands to millions of, of, of rand or, or dollars. It just means more. Same action, but the intent matters. And so the signature is one thing, but the intention of the signature and the location of the signature determines the stakes of the signature. And it's the same with the fruit. God gave them, he could have given them a scroll and a feather or a pen or an iPad or whatever. The issue isn't the fruit, it's what the fruit represents, and it represents a rejection of God, a declaration of independence from their creator, their sustainer, their source of life and love. And because we were designed for God, when we reject God, everything falls apart. We rejected the author of life's plan for life. But I want you to catch that life in a fallen world is not the way it's supposed to be. Lead in, in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 22 to 24, it says, The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. And so God sends them out of Eden, out of delight, out of a place where life as God intended to be was. And this is the hard part of living in a fallen world, is, is we weren't designed for life in a fallen world. I don't know if you, if you realize that. Um, you, you weren't designed to experience loss. We're like an app on the wrong operating system. I'm not tech, technologically sound at all, right? So that might not work. But that's, the, yeah, whatever. It just doesn't align, right? Um, we're like a, an American plug trying to plug into that two-pronged South African plug, which I realized yesterday I needed. It just doesn't work. And then death enters the world. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the wages of sin are death, and it's, and it's kind of been payday for a long time in a broken world. Again, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you understand that there is death in this world. You get the sense that life is not the way it's supposed to be. And so sin brings death to so much of our lives. And don't just think death is the end of life. Think death as the end of Eden. We've got emotional death. We've got wounds and abuse and abandonment. We've got psychological death where, where most of this, our world has a fragile sense of identity. 
We've got relational death where things, there's things we've done to others and things that have been done to us. Relationships are never quite what you want them to be. Even the healthiest of relationships just don't feel like they're enough. There's spiritual death, right, where most people live with, a, with kind of this constant dread of an existential crisis. Living in cultures where you have to kind of placate the gods. There's societal death where there's evil structures of power. Sexual harassment, gender-based assaults, injustice, the injustice of systemic racism, it's misogyny, abortion, environmental injustice. I can go on and on and on about society not being what it should be. It's what, what the scriptures call the world. It's humanity collectively rising up against God. There's physical death, obviously. Things like cancer and AIDS and mental health issues and miscarriages. And again, death of everything as it was meant to be. So what does this have to do with grief? Again, every human being was created for Eden, but every human being is currently living outside of Eden. We now live in a world where death and pain is all around us, and as much as we want to shield, like shield ourselves from the world, from death and pain, it's still everywhere, even in our own bodies. We will never be able to fully escape it on this earth. Again, our soul was not built for this. This is why so many people are passionate about injustice of all kinds right now, because they know this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is why loss hurts so much. This is why relationships hurt so much. A mentor of mine, uh, a gal named Meryl Vinan, she's actually from, she lived in Durban for a long time. She says, in relationships, she's a marriage and family therapist now. She says, in relationships, when we say hurtful things, we are wounding each other's souls and our souls weren't designed to be wounded. And so when we think about grieving, we often think about death, but grieving is simultaneously more common and deeper than we realize. A description of grief I found helpful is that grieving is necessary any time we lose anything that we hoped would make this life more like Eden. So a man named Dr. Terry Wardle, and he says this, he says, every loss in life Every loss in life deserves an appropriate, appropriate's key, season of grieving. Every loss in life deserves an appropriate season of grieving, whether you've lost your favorite person or you've lost your favorite pen. Grieving is a way in which we take the emotional upheaval and bring it out and up to the Lord. If we don't let emotions up and out before God, those emotions internalize. They give us physical, psychological, and spiritual problems. And so for you, maybe it was a, a relational loss. Maybe dating hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to, or, or, or marriage hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to, or a relationship with a parent has never been what you wanted it to be or what it should have been. Yeah, maybe, you feel, maybe you're single and you feel left behind. Every, every wedding invite makes you feel more aware of what feels like aloneness. Maybe you're married and, and you're wishing you weren't married. Not that you're going to say that out loud, but right now marriage is hard. Maybe some of you wish to, you hope to have children by now. Maybe you have kids and parenting's been really difficult to you, for you, or you've, had, you've experienced postpartum depression, or you've, you've, you've sensed that even though you love your kids, the loss of freedom still hurts. And you feel guilty that you're bummed about the loss of freedom. Maybe you've experienced betrayal, death of a loved one, financial loss. I don't know what it is for you. But I do know that Grant and Michelle carry so many of your stories, and I know that so much of what you are carrying, hear me again, you weren't designed to carry. You weren't designed for loss. 
And so we need to learn how to bring our grief before Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so we can grieve in such a way where we experience deeper intimacy with Jesus. Again, many of us never grieve, so we do one of two things. We either n- we fake it, right? We, we, we present kind of like the cleaned up version of ourselves, the church version of ourselves, 90% of people's social media version of themselves. Or we numb ourselves, often with sin. A guy named Ray Ortland said, your, your sin is often a devil-shaped remedy that you're trying to force into a God-shaped need. That oftentimes um, we feel pain and we look to something other than Jesus to make us feel better, to deliver us. And it always makes it worse in the long run. Like the children of Israel looking to an idol to heal the pain they experienced after centuries of abuse and oppression in Egypt. Behind so much of our sin is an ungrieved loss. It's looking for healing in the wrong place, looking for deliverance in the wrong place. And it leads to all kinds of things, things like addictions. This will make things more comfortable. And they do for a time, but oftentimes they make life really uncomfortable as things pick up and progress. It could look like abusive or unhealthy relationships. I'll get what what I was never given by my family of origin from romantic or sexual relationships or whatever it is. I kind of bounce around and try to find what my my heart needs. Uh, For a lot of us, it looks like avoidant behaviors. We avoid people. Um, Again, with all the loss happening, some of you may be tempted in this season to step away from this church because you're like, there's another big loss. They're going through a transition, and I just don't want to deal with this whole idea. But I want to encourage you not to do that because, again, it doesn't make things better inside of you. It delays the inevitable. Sometimes, yeah, we, we try to avoid triggers. Again, triggering is a real thing, but the goal should be to become less sensitive to what triggers us, not to stay fragile. It's a misunderstanding about triggers. A good psychologist will tell you the goal is that over time you'd be less triggered by things, not more triggered, not more enslaved. Uh, a friend of mine, um, a friend of my wife, Jackie's, uh, about, I don't know, 12 years ago, um, we, uh, I think in South Africa you guys call it falling pregnant, which is an interesting <laughs> phrase. Uh, we fell into pregnancy, and uh, yeah. And uh, what we didn't know was that one of Jackie's closest friends at the time was, was trying to fall into pregnancy as well. Uh, she was, they were trying to have a baby, trying to conceive. It wasn't going so hot. And uh, they had not conceived yet. And, um, and then what she did with that, instead of talking about that being hard, is she kind of pushed Jackie away. She didn't kind of. She, she excluded Jackie from, like, their entire social world that they shared at the time. And Jack felt so hurt and so unloved and so confused. And it was years later that she apologized to Jackie and said, hey, it wasn't you, it was me. But man, she really missed how much pain she inflicted on Jack in that season. That's what happens when we don't bring our, our grief before the Lord. We don't bring it to, to, does that make sense? Again, I don't think she, she wasn't thinking, I want to hurt Jackie. But she wasn't dealing with what, what, the, what the root cause of things were. 
And so how we deal with our pain is one of the greatest factors in determining whether or not we will grow into uh, becoming like Jesus. Again, so much of our sin is rooted in pain or grief avoidance. It's not that we want to be these terrible people. It's we're fallen people trying to cope with life in this world. But it is safe to bring our grief before God. In the Psalms, again, there's 150 Psalms. Scholars think that between 50 and 100 of the Psalms, the, the songs in the Old Testament, uh, about 30, somewhere between 30 and 60% of them are Psalms of lament. So let's just say it's 30. That's a lot. That doesn't often match kind of how many the, the worship songs we sing in terms of tone. Again, I love a get pumped up worship song, right? Best is before me, you know, world, you know, world behind me, the Lord in front, whatever. Let's get pumped up. Let's get a drum solo going. But oftentimes, they can lack the sense of, 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 there's not a lot of worship songs about lament right now, I think. Laments bringing our emotional pain before God as an act of worship while deepening our faith in Him. Um, Psalms teach us we don't have to be stoic people who never smile or cry, or religious people who are fake. And I love that definition of lament. Lament is bringing our emotional pain before God as an act of worship while deepening our faith in Him. A lot of us, we don't bring him our pain, or we bring him our pain, and, 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 and we kind of walk, we give it to him and walk away, but, but it's simultaneously trusting him with our pain. Disciples of Jesus should be the realest people in the world, because we follow a Savior who died to take away the guilt of the bad things done by us, and to take away the shame of the bad things done to us, one who is making all things new, and so we're, we're no longer defined by what's happened to us, but, but, what, but by what he's done for us. We, we have nothing to hide. We can be honest about anything. Again, a lot of people think Christianity is an escape from reality, but we should be the realest people in the world. We can talk about sin. We can talk about pain. We can talk about loss. We can talk about the loss of Eden. Again, Psalms were worship songs sung by Israel. I want to give you a little taste. Psalm 13, 1 through 6. And I want you to imagine just belting this out on a—and again, worship was amazing. I want to be really, really clear. Um, but— um, but this is an example that we so often um, don't carry. Psalm 13 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Can you imagine coming in? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer. Lord, my God, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Doesn't this psalm speak to our experience? whether we want to admit it or not, we are messy people learning, right? We, we, life gets crazy, and we're anxious, and we're afraid, and we're hurting, and then we have these amazing moments where we, we remember and trust in the steadfast love of God. But usually, we, we can't go around this to get here. Usually, it's through this that we get here. Again, at least 50 of the Psalms were songs like this. And so when it comes to grieving, um, we grieve best when— that's what I want to hit as we close. And these, these will be quick, but I think they're important. We grieve best when we, number one, we grieve like Jesus. We grieve like Jesus. In John chapter 11, there's a story about um, a family 
There's these two sisters, Mary and Martha. There's this brother named Lazarus. And then there's this guy named Jesus who uh, shows up. And it says, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Again, we can resonate with this. It feels like Psalm 13 a little bit. Here's what's happening to me. If you were here, I would not have lost my job. If you were here, my kids would look different than they do right now. If you were here, infertility would be gone. Death would be gone. My marriage would be healthier or it would be still around or whatever it is. Verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he asked deeply, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then it says, verse 35, Jesus wept. A lot of very dry religious <laughs> scholars have tried to make this like he, he kind of shed one tear. But it's an ugly dry heave. Jesus doesn't get mad or gloss it over. He doesn't throw out pithy, bad, like Christian slogans. She's in a better place now. He could say, she's in a better place. Trust me, I know. I came from there. He's in a better place. He dives into the pain. Even though, check this out, even though he's going to resurrect Lazarus, he's still sad. Because Lazarus wasn't designed to die, and his sisters weren't designed to experience losing him. If anyone could say, relax, it's going to be fine. I'm going to resurrect him. Take it easy. It's Jesus. But he doesn't do that. He enters into the pain. So don't give someone a Christian cat, catchphrase or quote scripture at them when, when they're hurting. Enter in with them. A mentor of mine, a man named Steve Cuss, recently was teaching a group of leaders, and he said this. I thought that was so helpful. He said, oftentimes the church can struggle to be an empathetic community. Now, again, Jesus is the most empathetic. I mean, he, in the incarnation, he enters our world. We'll be celebrating it next month at Christmas. Puts on human flesh. Love what Eugene Peter says. He enters our neighborhood. He enters into our situation. But, he, but, but Steve Cuss said, we're often not an empathetic community. He said, often what we do is when someone's hurting, we quote a Bible verse to them. Or in a charismatic church, we prophesy a, a quick word. And he said, often, you know, we'll say, don't be anxious or forget what's behind you. He says, often what we're doing is we're shrinking their pain to a size that we can handle. We're trying to make their pain manageable to us. Our job isn't to make people feel better when they're grieving. It's to be with them as they grieve. Does that make sense? It's not your job to make people feel better. By the way, that's just relationship wisdom that'll save you a ton of <laughs> pain in a ton of areas. But it's your job to, to, to be with them. And to allow others to be with you. To my second point, um, we're, we grieve best when we grieve with each other. Romans twelve fifteen says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice; weep with those who weep." Uh, since since the fall, this has been distorted. We never say this out loud, but if we're honest, often at our worst moments in the flesh, we rejoice when others weep, and we weep when others rejoice. Here's what I mean. You want something really bad, and your friend gets it. You're like, oh, man. All right. Right? Or, you know, um, someone with that, that perfect relationship, you know, their perfect dating relationship, and, and you want that, and you're jealous of it, and then they, they break up, and you're like, yes. 
I'm not alone. That perfect marriage, that per, you know, you find out there's cracks, like, oh, my marriage isn't as bad as I thought. As opposed to, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep. Again, if we're family, we're family when it's hard too. Grieving in community is so important. And I understand if, if, if you've experienced a church community that was not empathetic when they should have been. But, but family, we, we need each other. Um, we need people present with us, listening to us, helping us. Reminding us gently of what is true as time goes on. Um, to help others grieve, uh, the best analogy I can think of is it's kind of like a moving analogy. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever had someone help you move or you've helped someone move. It's a big thing at our church. And every time, anytime someone moves at our church, it's like a big demonstration of who has the gift of service because people jump in to, to, to do it. I actually have, a, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I have a reputation of showing up late and leaving early uh, with move days. It's not always on purpose, um, but it's kind of always happens. And uh, like, man, you're here for the pizza. This is crazy. I'm like, guys, got to go, uh, you know, before we get to that other location. But the beauty of, of, um, of, of moving a heavy piece of furniture um, with some, what makes it helpful isn't that it makes the, the piece of furniture weigh less. It just, you, you have less of it to, to, to bear yourself. So when we bear each other's burdens, one of the things I hate to hear people say as a pastor who's trying to build a healthy community is when they go, I don't want to be a burden. They don't show up for like four months. Like, I don't want to be a burden. I was going through a rough time. The Bible says we're called to bear each other's burdens. So you don't want people to obey Jesus is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm too much. We're all too much. None of us were designed to do life alone. We're all experiencing loss we shouldn't be experiencing. And in this, and now again, if you're always the one who's being helped and you never help, that's one thing. That's a maturity thing to work through. But we, we may have seasons where we just need a lot of help. This last season with my son um, being diagnosed, you know, with a mental health condition and, and, and the pandemic, we needed more help as a family than we've ever needed, I think, since we've been adults. And so, um, man, be present. Be with people. Um, help bear that load. So we grieve, uh, I think we grieve best when we grieve with each other. By the way, it doesn't have to be with everyone. I want to say this. It's like three to five people, okay? It's not the entire church. You may want the entire church, uh, but realistically, it's only going to be a couple of people. So I'm not saying share your hardest stuff with like every person you meet. Make it a really awkward coffee time. You're like, dude, can I tell you about my trauma this week? <laughs> dude, I've got a good trauma story for you. <laughs> Did someone say wounding? <laughs> right, that, that's not what we're doing. But there should be some people who do know what's knowable about you. Man, I'm wrestling with this thing. I don't know what to think about this. I'm coming to my own conclusions, and I'm scared. And da, 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 da. Number three, we grieve over time. We, we grieve best when we grieve over time. Any of you guys who have lost someone that you love deeply, when there's anniversaries connected to those losses, man, you feel it again in a, in, in a different way. You have to re-accept that things have been lost. And so I'd encourage you, man, not to beat yourself up. I thought I grieved this. Man, it's, it may come up again. You have to re-accept that, that this loss has happened. Does that make sense? We might not go through the entire process again from scratch, but it, we may need to, to revisit it at times, and that's okay. And then number four, um, we grieve best when we grieve in light of the gospel. We grieve best when we grieve in light of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Paul writes this. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So there are some who grieve, and they have no hope. But the brothers and sisters, by the way, concerning those who are asleep, those who have died, they can grieve with hope. 
Okay? Now again, hope's not denial. It's going to be okay. Again, we don't, John 11, Jesus was going to resurrect Lazarus. He still wept over it. You can know someone in Christ who died um, that, that one day you'll see them or whatever, but it's still sad now. It's a both hand. There's a hope for the future. There's not a denial of the pain with a hope for the future. You acknowledge the pain in the present with hope for the future. In the gospel, by the way, it's not just about Jesus' death. It's also about his life. It's also about his ascension. And it's also about his second coming when he will bring back Eden like never before. Eden 2.0. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. These are verses that I think we, many, if you've been in church for a minute, you've probably heard this a lot. But man, it's, if they're real and they're true, and I believe they are, they're so important. Like they really do matter. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. By the way, if you're like, I'm a surfer, I'm, I'm in Durban, why is the sea going to go away? How could that be Eden? Sea is a symbolic language in the Old Testament for the, the space between enemies, like warring nations. So I think war is gone, essentially. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous thing has passed away, and that thing is death. And so what I want to say to you is that we can grieve with hope that one day he will make it right. We're not always going to understand the pain and loss in this life. We're not. But we can't hold on to the fact that he will make it right one day. And so, um, in closing, I'll call the worship band up. Um, and I just want to ask you guys to, to, to sit with two questions. You guys can write these into a journal, uh, throw them into your phone. But to, to help you, I, again, I, I'm, it's not natural for me to grieve and think about, man, what have I lost lately? But guys, it has been a brutal two years. Like, it's been so bad. And so I know in a room this size, there's so much loss. There's so much pain, some spoken, some unspoken. But the Holy Spirit's so faithful to bring us, bring to attention what we need to know. By the way, there's nothing he's going to bring that he's not going to help you with. You're like, I don't even want to ask. There's nothing he's going to bring to mind. The other thing I want to say is, um, even things that are positive, that are changes, require grieving. I had a friend who moved on from like a barista coffee shop role to her dream job, and she was sad. She wasn't gonna, she, because things were going to change. The relationships with the people at the coffee shop were going to change, right? Like I mentioned earlier, when you, when you have a, a new kid, and, and that's fun, and, and they're a gift from God, and all that stuff that's true, there's still a reality. Man, this changes things for me. Me and my wife will never just be me and my wife ever again. When we had our second kid, I realized it'll never just be me, Jackie, and Clive ever again. And so um, what has changed that you're struggling to accept and trust God with? That's my first question. What has changed these last two years that you're struggling to accept and trust God with? It could be singleness, could be a relationship, could be a job situation, could be a desire that's taking a lot longer to happen than you'd like. 
then number two, what are you going to miss that has likely changed forever? This could be literally someone passing away. It could be a season of life. It could be an end of a relationship, end of a job, someone moving away, the church changing. Again, I want to challenge you to, to share with someone this week what you're realizing, you're grieving. But, but I just want to encourage you to sit with these two questions. I don't know if we could strum for just a second or, or, or pad. Just take a couple minutes to, to sit. Just say, Lord, man, what, what am I struggling to accept and trust you with? What am I going to miss that's likely changed forever? And then I'd encourage you, um, coming out of this gathering, to actually share it with someone in this church, if this church is your home church, to share with someone you trust, um, to bring it before the Lord. Strum for a bit, and then we'll move into a time of musical worship.
bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand In Christ alone is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone The solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love What depths of peace When fears are still When striving cease my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand My comforter My comforter My all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand um, In this evening some of you might think now or you might think in the car on the way home or this week I thought that series was called Looking Ahead <laughs> and we didn't really do that tonight you know um, we looked in we looked like at grief we looked at what we've gone through we looked at things we've had to process and I loved what Andy started saying that God had stopped him from getting into the vision series to do the work to go forward and I think as we leave here tonight, I, I think that's the encouragement I want to give us as we go into the week is to do the work before we go forward, to do the work we need to do, to, to think through those two questions that Andy shared with us. What has changed that you're struggling to accept and trust God with? And what are you going to miss that has likely changed forever? Do that work today, th this week. Pray it through, work it through, answer those questions, share it with someone. And then we can get into what God's got. I just want to say, I, I'm sure lots of things stood out to different people in the room as he spoke, but I was just struck when Andy said, don't be that person who says, I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. And I just hope for you, wherever you are, whatever your answers are to that question, whatever you're going through, that you won't do that, that, that you won't go through this alone, you won't process this alone, that yes, you will bring this to God, but that you would do this in community others and share its others too so I just want to pray for us as we end and we can go into this and do the work but I just thank you Jesus for the song, I thank you for this message I thank you for who you are and we do just come to you Lord God, just a, a responsive faith before we go out to respond, to live this out to, to do the work we ask you Lord for your help 
every one of us, whether it's small or big, we, we've got things we are grieving. And we bring those things before you now, Lord, and we pray for your healing. We pray for your help. We pray you'd help us to process. We pray you'd help us to grow. We thank you, Jesus, that you weep with us. We thank you that we're not alone in this. And I thank you, Lord, that you would do deep, deep work in every single one of us in the changes of this moment, the changes we've been through as we go forward, as we look ahead, as we respond to what you're calling us to as a church and individually, Lord. We welcome you into the space. We welcome you into our need. We welcome you into our grief. And Lord, I pray whatever it is that you are speaking to each one of us tonight, Lord, I pray it would be clear. And I pray that we would have the courage and boldness to respond and do what is needed of us. And Holy Spirit, even if we don't feel like we do have that, I pray you'd help us to do it anyway. Amen. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you, guys. So you're going to the week. Go well. Love you lots.